Hey, Mark. Hey, Katie. Hey, you want to do a podcast? Yeah. Sweet. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Unforget Yourself Show, where we use the power of woo and the proof of science to help you identify your blind spots, get over your own bullshit, <gasps> so that you can do the fucking thing you actually want to do. Absolutely. I'm Mark. And I'm Katie. And we're the founders of Unforget Yourself and the creators of the Unforget Yourself system. Look, being a business owner is tough. Yeah. With vulnerability and with humor, mm-hmm. we'll be sharing with you the real stories behind the success of those brave and crazy enough to start their own business and to show you that you're not alone. You're not. Well, from the accidental entrepreneur to the laser-focused CEO, we have honest conversations about how they got to where they are today. We talk about the challenges that they faced and what they're currently dealing with in real time on their roller coaster journey. Along the way, we want to show you that it's, it's you. You are the most important asset in your business. Yeah, you are. So let's cut the bullshit and start the show. Enjoy. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. So today we have with us Nicole Miles, founder of Miles to Go Speaking and Consulting, as well as Nikki Scribbles, and also a founder of nonprofit The Better Living Collaborative. And this triad comes together under the umbrella of tools to turn trauma into transformation. Beautiful. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Can you expand a bit more on, you know, where are you today with your business and who is it that you love to work with? Oh, well, um, I am a speaker and consultant primarily. While I do some coaching and some other activities, I am really someone who's focused on groups because I like community and system change. And so my primary audience that I work with tend to be audiences at speaking conventions, association groups, um, and I also work with organizations themselves, particularly nonprofits, um, other advocacy organizations and educational organizations who are really looking to engage in changing the practices of the way they're running their organizations and taking care of their people. Mm, Love that. There's... Yes, there is the the return investment. There is how we run the business, but also that there's the people behind the business. I mean, that's our that's our sweet spot. So, can you expand a bit more on you know what is it that that your clients are actually looking for? What is it that's sort of front and center that you help sort of guide them through? Sure. So it's so interesting because uh, I'm a, a trauma informed practitioner, but rarely does any leader ever come to me and say, you know we're not very trauma informed and this is what's going wrong. That's, Mm. that's not what happened. Um, Particularly with COVID where there was this kind of break in the way we were running our organizations. When we started to bring ourselves back together, there's been this discussion about the health and wellness of, of our organizations. And Brene Brown says something really brilliant. She says, no happy person ever is unhappy at work. Right? So if you're going to work unhappy every day, you're not happy everywhere else either. And so what really happens is leaders come to me and they themselves are unhappy. They see their staffs mm. unhappy and struggling. They're having retention problems. They're having trouble hiring. Uh, they're, they're really seeing some, some seismic shifts inside their organization that aren't positive. And very often, because I work in a lot of these advocacy and nonprofit spaces, they're doing this incredible work and their individuals are are really amazing people, but they're struggling. And mm. so they're looking for how do we kind of lift that struggle out? How can we smooth this out? What do we need to do? Um, and that's actually where trauma-informed practices and language comes in. Nice. I love that. So if we go sort of one level deep with, okay, so now we know what 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 they're looking for. 
What about the the end user? So the person that you actually touch, the person you actually help, who may not have may not have asked for this, but is kind of get what's that like? Because I know that could be that could be tough. It really can be tough. And to be perfectly honest, um, a few months ago in my business, I actually introduced a new battery of tools to make it a little easier. Because um, as much as I speak often about trauma-informed language and um, how we use this, the actual phrase trauma-informed may be one of the least trauma-informed phrases out there because it, it, it invokes in people a really strong response, right? No one wants to, no one wants to talk about their trauma and no one certainly wants to talk about it at work. And, you know, they kind of have this preconceived, like- There's the stigma that still is around, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, having group therapy sessions at work. And of course, it has nothing to do with that. And so I have to sort of peel that back for them. And I developed a new program actually called Radically Well. And it is, in fact, the trauma-informed pillars and all of the expertise I bring, but Mm. it is repackaged into leading with the wellness piece, the result of what happens when we have trauma-informed practices, as opposed to leading with the trauma-informed practices themselves. Uh, Mm. That tends to make it a little easier um, for the folks who, you know, think they maybe need this help, but aren't sure if they're comfortable having it. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 a lot to that, and just to tap into sort of my my past with, with you know, even just just therapy is I always I was of the mindset of I don't need a therapist I can plow through this all this rubbish you know years and years and years ago and then I realized for me at that time being the man who you know I could hustle I can keep going to understand that hey I've I've always thought I won't do therapy I don't want to do this but that one point of it allows me to talk. There's one person I can talk openly with without any ramifications, without anything. I can just be completely honest and then walk away. For me, that one realization was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so freeing. It started to open my mind up. So I think find that one nuance that speaks to someone and you realize, here's the benefit for you. That one, whatever it is, that one principle, that one realization can be, it can be huge. Yes. Well, and for organizations, when we start talking about this space, the number one, that little, that little kernel is productivity Mm. because happy individuals show up to work to collaborate with other happy individuals, to solve big problems. They stay in their job. More people want to come work with them and they increase their productivity. And so, you know, the wonderful thing about the work that I get to do is that I get to reveal that when it's good for individuals, right, you go to therapy and you have this kind of freeing moment and it's good for you. It's great for you. But also everyone else who interacted with you after that got a residual benefit from the fact that yeah. you've been going to therapy. And so I get to present this to organizational leaders in exactly that way. When we, when we start to put these systems into place, we are benefiting not just our individual employees who matter very much and we want to do that. But if you are not a person who's thinking mm. about that individual employee, you certainly can think about the productivity and, and the, the, you know, the bottom line results of what happens in your companies and trauma-informed organizations do seven times better than non-trauma-informed organizations from a productivity wow. standpoint. 
there's the stats. I want to sort of pause on that just from a, a and step back from a sort of global sort of business perspective, because oftentimes going into businesses and um, I hear this before, they don't care about the, the people. How do we sell our services? The businesses only care about the money. They don't want their, their staff taken care of. And to that, that's a whole different kettle of fish. But there is that what angle, sell them what they want, give them what they need. We've all heard that in this angle is what what do the businesses want? They want a higher return on investment. They want bigger profits. They want more productivity. They want better workers. And the way to get that, happier people, more collaborative people. So this will actually bring in what's happy for the stakeholders and the profit margins, but also help the well-being and the person, the people in the business. So you can always, and this is just marketing 101, you can find the angle you want and say, look, let's let's show you this. You know your behind the scenes, your, your need, your desire to help other people. That's the driver. I mean, yes. it's great that they get a bigger return on investment, but your driver is how can we help the people? And all right. this other stuff is important, but it's maybe secondary to this need. But you can always flip it around. I, I love that. Yeah, I, I think it's it's so empowering to be able to speak to uh, maybe a reticent leader or a reticent board member who's not sure why you should be doing, you know, this kind of thing, you know, spending this, the money to work with me um, to be able to show that outcome. Yeah. But knowing that when I'm in the room and I get to work with these individuals, when I get to work with folks, that that level of empowerment and helping them find their voice, it, it does not just benefit their workplace, it benefits the whole of them. And, you know, that's a thing that has evolved over time with workplaces is mm -hmm. our understanding that we bring ourselves into those spaces. Um, and I don't, I don't limit myself to just workspaces. I work a lot with community groups as well. Um, you know, spiritual groups, those kinds of things, religious organizations, because people bring themselves with them everywhere they go. Um, right. Whether, whether you like it or not, and so the the more well we collectively are, the more informed we collectively are, the mm. better off all of our systems and communities can be. Love that. Beautifully put. Love it. Let's let's sort of shift this and talk about, you know, because this is amazing. But what was it that you decided, yes, this is this is the route I want to take. This is the business that I want after you know years and years in, in sort of one area. Now you are you came into this as, as, as the business owner, what was it like to make that step? And what was, what was the realization once you took it to realize, you know, things like, oh, shit, there's a <laughs> yeah. lot of stuff. That I didn't, I didn't realize this was part of it. Right. Um, boy, that's, I I'm laughing because I'm, I'm just recalling a, a few of those early moments and I still have them to be very clear. I still have them. Um, you know, I initially had thought I was going to be one of those people who would ease mm. in to a full-time entrepreneurship, solopreneurship position. And I was trying to do two things at once, but I was a nonprofit executive um, running an organization during COVID and coming out of COVID. And it was fully consuming. Uh, for years, I had been told I needed to tell my personal story, uh, which is one couched in um, a very sort of dramatic domestic violence event that resulted in me going into hiding for more than a year and having to change my name and new profession and this kind of whole thing that happened. And I didn't want to tell that story. Mm. The, the notion of this kind of heroine, you know, escaping with police, 
there's enough of those stories. There was no real benefit to that story. But during COVID in my leadership role as a nonprofit leader, I discovered post-traumatic growth and I started studying organizational psychology to visit, to help my own organization. Mm. And all of a sudden these pieces kind of lined up for me and it was like, oh, this is the story I need to tell because this becomes something lots of people can grab onto that you can have this growth after setback. We were in COVID and you, there is a system for being able to do this and someone needs to reveal it because I'd stumbled around for better part of a decade, not understanding anything about it while I was rebuilding my life. Um, Suddenly this was what I wanted to tell. And rather than sort of easing into it, (laughs) um, I made a commitment. I gave a, a, extended time to depart my organization because it's difficult, you know, in leadership positions to leave. Hmm. Um, But still in all, effectively, I did one conference, launched my website. Um, I had a TEDx talk that had been out there floating around that had gone live before COVID um, and had then, you know, that little thing derailed. I didn't get to to glom onto it the way I had expected to because of the pandemic. Um, I had those three things and I left my job one day on a Thursday. I took a long weekend and on Monday I was a solopreneur um, and boy, was it jolting. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean it wasn't the case of you get to run your own business and it's just, it's magical. People come, it's so easy. You get to do the work you want to do. That doesn't just fall into place. Uh, not even a little bit. And I had thought I was, you know, I'd been wise. I'd invested. I'd had a coach in the spring when I was thinking about this. Mm. I'd signed on with a consulting company to help me build my, my business and my marketing. Um, I am, I am not, you know, a young solopreneur. So I had 25 years plus of, of business experience. And I, I felt like I was going to have this under control. And I also thought that this new setting um, I'd run a nonprofit, but during COVID even, I was open and in person. So I had been around people. My previous work to that was education. So I've always been around people. And I had this kind of, this is going to be amazing. It's going to be just me. And no one else is going to tell me what I need to do or put things on my schedule or you know line me up for these donor visits or programming evaluations or anything. And it's just going to be wonderful. And I was shocked at how not wonderful (laughs) all of that. It's just me. And then you realize, oh, it's just me. It's just me. Right. The untethering of that was Mm. stunning. Um, It came as a major shock. I also, um, I didn't, you know, necessarily have the financial luxury for this, but the idea of leaving a full-time job that I had dedicated, you know, well over 60, 80 hours, especially during COVID a week to on a Thursday and literally saying, I'm going to take Friday, Saturday and Sunday off. Um, you're, this is a, that's a very American thing, isn't it? The joke is like, I'm having my kidney removed. So you, you know, please, please, I can't return my emails for 24 hours. It was, you know, kind of one of those things yeah. Where I thought that I was just going to hit the ground running on Monday. What was what was the most jarring thing about it? What aspects, job, task, is 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 what sort of maybe slowed you down, made you stop, made you realize, oh, I don't want to do this. What what, what was that? 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so there was this sort of like, oh, now what moment where I realized I had to go get the business because the business had always come to me. It was an education. Mm -hmm. Like they just, that's a pre, they pre-feel, right? And I've been an arts educator. So I had recruited students, quote unquote. Um, and I, I ran a nonprofit that you could elect to come into or not. So to some degree, I felt like I had this under control, but that was not at all the case. Yeah. And I, I knew a number of consultants and a lot of them were like, oh, it's going to be fine. You'll be up and running in four months. I'm going to give you some referrals. Well, none of that actually happened either. And all of a sudden I was just like, I, I have to figure out, I don't know how to do that. It, it suddenly it, it landed on me that I had all of this experience and I had done all of these things and I'd fundraised and I'd recruited and I had done all of the stuff. And I felt like I was a fair amount of control of maybe having a, a greater than average um, success rate with what I'd been doing. And suddenly I realized I did not know how to go get clients. Um, my work was in education. It was an early mm. childhood education. So to move myself to uh, a trauma-informed post-traumatic growth space, um, I hadn't been involved in, for example, I do a lot of work with domestic violence and sexual assault shelters. Um, I hadn't been directly involved in relationship building with those organizations in years. Mm. So suddenly it all kind of aligned for me that I did not have the customer base that I needed. Uh, the people who were going to help me had said so kindly and intended to, but also had their own businesses to run. And so that wasn't a real thing. It was more of a like pump me up thing. Yeah. And um, I was out there by myself, you know, so with, in, with, in that area, that scenario, as you started to sort of move through this and get some traction and get some knowledge and what, what was are those two aspects of the, the, the challenge that you focus on the most or the one that was like it's still it 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 was so big is it the marketing is it getting the visibility or is it the sales getting the ability to to actually oh, convert for sure the sales um i am a, a born storyteller i love to tell stories i love to do content and so i could spend days and weeks creating all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and for a while in my sort of um, trying to grasp onto, I'm running a business, I know what I'm doing. I did a lot of that. Mm. And so I did all of this content, but, you know, 74 followers or something, right? So th there was nothing. And I didn't know what to do when I moved from 74 to 75. I did not like this sort of heavy handed thing that was happening to me as I had entered the solopreneur sphere where I had people constantly unsoliciting uh, unsolicited outreaches on LinkedIn. Yeah. In fact, I pulled back out of LinkedIn for a period of time because I was so frustrated. Mm. I was, I was looking for clients. I was asking for people, you know, if you're interested in working with me, contact me via in-mail and I get very excited because suddenly there would be, you know, 35 new in-mails and I'd open them up Every single one of them was a solicitation for someone to sell me video services, marketing services, mm. you know, some kind of thing. And I became so, 
so just angered by the fact that I could not do that piece. Mm -hmm. And people were taking the opportunity where I was saying work with me to turn that into no work with me. Yeah, Um, I want to just pause on on that aspect because there's a couple of angles to this, to, to be putting yourself out there and hoping nervously, excitedly that people might come and then see the inbox fill up and then realize that useless, useless, not for me, useless, useless. Just let's extract the whole, I don't like being sold to scenario. That on its own of being like, it's not working, being deflating. I think that on its own is can be enough to derail so much. I think you make a really good point. It's it is really hard on you. You're thinking because the first thing that you think is I don't know if I'm reaching anybody, right? You're throwing this messaging out there, and in my case, because it is, I do post traumatic growth work and I do trauma informed practices. It's pretty vulnerable work. Yeah. Um. And I'm a storyteller, so I'm I'm. I'm transparent about what I do and who I am and why I do it. And so you kind of throw everything out there into the ether and and hope it lands somewhere. And someone says, yes, that is a good fit for me. And so the first fear is no one, no one will, will actually hear that. And then the second thing that happens is somebody did hear it, but there's this terribly deflating moment because the people who heard it were not the people who wanted to work with you. They were the people who wanted you to pay them. And, and so that was really hard. I want to focus on the other part. So that first, just it's not working and being like, ah, oh, the wind knocked out of your sails. Uh-huh. And that part that, okay, now, you know, whether this is right or wrong, there might have been a little bit of jealousy in there that look at these people being able to reach out. So I'm not saying they did it in the right way. I'm saying there's, oh, yeah. we can judge like, oh, look at these people. They're, they're saying the things that I want to say, maybe not in the right way, but and but this is one oh, marketing tactic totally a, that's totally a fair assessment to be able yeah. to look at somebody and go like how do you do that in fact i actually had a a coffee with a woman i belong to a group um called one million cups it's a, a stateside uh, organization they're all over the country and yeah. you meet for an hour every Wednesday. you might be familiar with them I, I like them a lot and this this woman had presented and we had kind of a similar background. She was doing something totally different though. She sold health insurance. Mm. I watched her do this presentation and I just thought like, I, I don't know what that is, but I need to know. And for some reason, like she felt like a person I could actually ask that question to yeah. and, and be able to hear back because you're right. There's a certain amount of watching people, whether it was within my comfort zone or my um, you know, my ethics, I felt that people kind of unsolicited get in there. You're not supposed to do that. And they do it anyway, uh, you know, right or wrong, all of that aside, there was that kind of like, what possesses you to go, Hey, you don't know me at all, but I'm the person who can help you. It was such a stunning realization for me that I, that I didn't come into the field packing that particular suitcase that seemed to be essential to the success of what was happening. Then let me sort of unpack that little suitcase, because I think this is an an important point. This, if we take things too personally, if we magnify so much, it can, it can skew the picture to hold space for 
oh, I mean, sometimes it's tough when you get a gazillion emails, but it's a tactic. It's For some people, it's a numbers game. On depends on their business. Their business is mm-hmm. not yours. It's a numbers game. Bless them for trying to do the best that they can. And obviously, this works. It would not be happening if it did not work. So there is part of that. So if we can hold space for almost, it's almost like, oh, bless, look at you. Cool, yeah, right, right. walk on. But it's yes. logically, we might know that, but emotionally, in that moment, oh, crumbs is tough. Well, right. And I think there's that, um, <laughs> there's that, like, perhaps we should have empathy for that. And there is also a, a kernel of knowledge that rubs against the feelings you're having about it. Um, I'm a professional fundraiser. I'm, I'm something called a certified fundraising executive. Uh, there's 12% of all fundraisers in the United States actually carry this designation. You have to take a test. There's a whole thing for it. And so I'm well-versed in this. And one of the things that happens when I was training other fundraisers, what I would say, you know, so the metric is a good metric is six no's for every one yes. The good metric says you're going to fail six times more than you're going to succeed. Every time. And that's if you're doing well. That's if you're doing well. And so you logically, you know that that's exactly the numbers game. You're you're playing this game. But in the moment, it does feel very, it feels very personal. Mm-hmm. It feels very uh, attacky uh, in yep. some ways. Uh, and also tacky without the A. <laughs> uh, you know, like, why are you inserting yourself this way. And so that was a big struggle for me. It continues to be something I battle with is I don't like that particular technique. Mm. And so understanding and accepting that it is how a huge part of my industry operates and understanding that if I'm choosing not to operate that way, I must find another successful way to do it Mm. um, continues to be a real battle for me, actually. Yeah, that's, Again, just disassociating between it and trying to work out exactly what that what that looks like for you. Um, what did you just say there about um, yeah the the numbers, the metrics? Um, literally this morning within on Forget Yourself, we were yeah hosting a coaching session and we were talking about this this very thing. I love it when things just kind of drop in. It's that changing that perspective. So um, when you're you could say on whether it's you can sales calls, sales conversations, uh, conversations, um, even email marketing, collect the objections because we're so scared of being rejected. Yeah. We're so scared of what it means. And sometimes you, that one rejection can actually derail so much. You can have 100 yeses and one no. You'll focus on the no. Absolutely. So just see what happens when you have you know, nine no's and one yes. We reframed it this morning in terms of, Collect the objections, collect them. What can you learn from them? What's good about them? Embrace them, expect them though. Cool. Then from that perspective, it's that you bring that play back in rather than the the deflation. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I I think that that's, and that's a a tool we use frequently in fundraising as well. Like, you know, when someone says no to you, uh, we, first of all, we call them bless and release. Like we, we don't, we don't want someone who doesn't want to work with us. That's not a good thing. So we we want to bless and release, but we collect that data. So you say like this is this is what goes on in a no. Yeah. 
And do we have the tools or not to deal with that no? If we don't, then we know to exclude that grouping because those are no's, they're not fits for us. And if we do have those tools and we say, okay, well, we haven't been presenting this correctly. um, You know, and I think there's a, there is that we hang on to those negatives uh, and coming from that trauma-informed perspective space and folks who have trauma, which by the way, is almost all of us as adults, um, if you have particular kinds of trauma, that perfectionism gene will pop in there for you, that um, fear factor. One of the big fear factors for me that has never materialized, I want to be very clear, this has never materialized, and still I have to play the tape in my head every time. I am not a therapist. My master's in psychology is not in clinical psychology. It is in organizational psychology. So I do not carry licensing. I don't want to be a therapist. I love my therapists. I think everyone should have them. I have no desire to be a therapist. And also, I had to make a conscious effort to stop inserting into a conversation where I was trying to sell someone something that I am not a therapist, that I was discounting a thing about myself as if they were going to discount me for not being a therapist. Mm. I speak to Mental Health America. I speak to therapists all the time, to you know, to domestic violence counselors, to all of these people all of the time. No one has ever said to me, your knowledge isn't valid because you're not a therapist, because you're not an LICSW. Like it's, that's never happened to me, but it is a huge part of that fear factor of going into a space and saying, I'm the person who can help you is I know there's this thing I don't have. Well, we can't have everything. We can't mm. be everything. Yeah. Um, and if I had it, there would be some other thing I didn't have. And I would, you know, worry about that. Yeah. But these well-worn stories, these things that we continue to put on, on, on autopilot, on repeat, and they're controlling. So just like that belief, that fear, that's controlling in this area. And it continues to show up. In the other area, in sales, with yep. all these other aspects, what I don't want to do, what other people are doing, how you're scared of maybe being seen in certain places, this is controlling. All, all these damn controllers, they're everywhere. Yep. Learning how to sort of leverage them, how to remove them. There's all these different kind of tactics, but I think we come back down to time and time again, it's, it's the awareness. First, it's the awareness. And yep. I know you're very, very vocal with it's the tools. Yes. The tools. And how to use them. And then that's that's where we come in, which is okay, you've got the tools and the tactics. Implementation. What do you do to move forward? What's controlling you? Where is that? So there's some beautiful angles on 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 this particular topic. So I I love the fact we could sort of break this down. Oh my gosh, we can go for another hour on this. We we could do a whole thing. Yeah. Well, and I think tools, I think tools just they matter so much. Mm. Um, especially in a in a world that would prefer there to be. You know, would prefer there to be a, a switch or a button instead of instead of a tool. Um, there aren't switches and buttons for things like this mm. because what finally deconstructs all of that for me versus what finally deconstructs that for somebody else in your group this morning is going to be different yeah. based on our experiences and our knowledge and how we feel about things. And so I love that I think in really effective solution building, really happy solopreneur building, there's that notion of understanding that I can, I, I can, not only can I, but I must bring myself 
to this conversation in order to have the success I'm going to have. Well, let's end on that point, bringing yourself into this, bringing yourself into how you talk about who you are and what you do with confidence, being yourself with how you market, how you approach the sales conversation, finding the right thing for you authentically, removing that kind of resistance. If you're doing something you've got resistance to, it doesn't feel right. Now, there, again, we were chatting off, offline earlier about there's that, is it fundamentally wrong for me or am I just damn uncomfortable? Comfortable. Which one is it? <laughs> And it's fundamentally the wrong tactic, technique, strategy, way of talking. If you can release that and find the way that's right for you, that that could, should, will be the way forward for you. So, yeah, I think we're both the advocates of find the right thing for you. That's right. Absolutely. Everything works, but not for everyone. Find the right thing for you. Absolutely agreed. Absolutely. Fantastic. Look, Nicole, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story um, behind the scenes and you know what it's like for you as you took this, this huge jump and crumbs, the, the dramas that come with it. <laughs> yes, thank you. Well, thank you for having me and letting me share. I hope that it, it helps lots of listeners along the way because I know um, we have great company in the work we're doing. Awesome. Thank you so much. And hey, if you want to find out more about, about you and the work that you do, where can they find you? Visit my website. It's miles to go, and I'm miles with a Y, miles to go.net. Or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram at the same space. And if you're interested in the artwork, you can find me at Nikki Scribbles. Awesome. Everyone go and check that out. But yeah, Nicole, thank you so much. This has been, it's been so much fun. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Hey, Katie. Yeah, Mark. Want to do an outro? I sure do. Sweet. Hey, thank you so, so much for listening and making it to the end. Yay, you. So what happens next? Uh, we ask them the things that podcasters are supposed to ask at the end of an episode. Can you please rate, review, download? Subscribe. Mm. Yeah. But why is it important? Because that's how our podcast gets noticed. That's how people find us. It is, and we want all their earballs. <laughs> all the earballs all over the place. We do. Nice. Yeah, so please do all those things. We'll be ever so grateful. And then more people hear your beautiful voice. Or yours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> See you next time. Bye.